Do not adjust your dial. You did not have a technical difficulty as you were listening to Devin White. That glitch was the bleeping of a certain profanity. Four syllables. First one starts with M. Third one starts with with F. And with that, we say good afternoon. <laughs> it's BFD, PM, Shereen Williams, Mike Florio. The Monday after division around conference championship Sunday, just six days away. Bittersweet time of the season. They're getting the games in. I don't want to jinx anyone because the worst case scenario would be something happened this weekend and derail a game. And maybe if that would happen, they would just push the whole thing back a week. I don't even want to go there. I don't even want to discuss it. I don't even want to think about it. I regret saying it. Let's have the last 30 seconds of our lives back and just say it's a great moment of the season. We're awaiting the final four, but we're getting closer and closer to the final game. And then what are we going to do with ourselves? Boy, Mike, I, I don't know. I'm kind of sad when it gets to this point because you look forward and you're like, season's almost done. Like, what are we going to do when we get done? There's not going to be a regular combine this year in February. What, what do you have to look forward to in February, Mike? Yeah, look, I, I don't know. And they're still trying to figure out what the combine's going to look like and what it's going to be and how do you get ready for the draft and free agency is coming. So NFL never slows down. But when the games end, it is a different kind of a vibe. But the interest in the sport lasts all year long and we'll be here as long as they let us be here you won't be here tomorrow though I'm very intrigued by this and also glad that it's you and not me you'll be in the (laughs) full-blown 18 candidate hall of fame selection meeting which is happening virtually tomorrow instead of the day before the Super Bowl good luck keeping that list of new hall of famers under wraps between now and the night before the Super Bowl if that's what they're planning to do well, yeah, because I if it's like we've always done it, you're going to know the five finalists and everyone has to stay quiet about who those five finalists are who typically are voted up. They got to have 80% approval, but that's happened every year since I've been on the committee since 2007, I think was the first year I was on the committee. So, it will be an interesting meeting, Mike. There's no deadline, there's no cutoff like we usually have cuz we got to get to NFL honors when they're going to announce the Pro Bowl, the, announce the Hall of Fame we don't have any of that so it could be a very long meeting I think you said the over under was eight and a half hours I'm going to take the under but just by a tad I think it'll be about eight hours well I'm counting on the over which means we've got other plans tomorrow I don't know what they are but we'll the show will go on (laughs) while you are listening to and presenting you'll be presenting Drew Pearson as the senior committee candidate uh, it's good to know that they're considering letting cheaters in the hall of fame it's good to know good enough it's a good lesson for the kids let a cheater in the hall of fame that's good uh, i'm kidding drew pearson i'm still salty about 45 years ago when he pushed off uh on nate wright in the divisional playoffs speaking of the divisional playoffs we knew we'd eventually tie this back together here's andy reed earlier today talking about his quarterback patrick mahomes who if you've been asleep for the last 24 hours suffered a concussion yesterday in the second half of the win over the browns here's reed I really don't um, have any injuries to talk about um, other than uh, Patrick's and he's in protocol there. So, um, and we'll just follow that and see how he, how he does here the next couple of days. I, I don't have in, injuries to talk about except the most important guy on the team. Other than that, we're fine. <laughs> 
no problem, other than the fact that we may not have Patrick Mahomes. I don't want to be flipping about it, but we don't know that he's going to be cleared to play. And, you know, I asked the league if they have any numbers that they keep because my recollection is, Shereen, and tell me if I'm wrong, um, when they first became sensitive to the concussion problem, 2009, October 28, DeMora Smith and Roger Goodell got called up to Capitol Hill. They had a big hearing, and, and that was the, the lesson and the message. Take it seriously. And get guys off the field if they have a concussion and don't let them back on until they've been properly cleared by an independent neurologist. Fine. The first few years, if you had a concussion one Sunday, you didn't play the next Sunday. Now, when a guy has a concussion, it seems like more often than not he does play. The NFL said the median number of missed days by a quarterback due to a concussion from 2015 through 2019 is seven. 29 quarterbacks in the sample size. And keep in mind, as the doctors will say, if you've seen one concussion, you've seen one concussion. Everyone is different. And the thing that was different about Mahomes yesterday, there wasn't any obvious traumatic blow to the head. There was kind of a dragging down, and it was his neck, but he was clearly woozy, clearly affected. And and it's, it's all down to Shireen how quickly his brain recovers from the trauma. Could be Sunday. Could not be Sunday. We may not see him again until the Super Bowl, assuming that the Chiefs somehow win with Chad Henney. And Andy Reid had an unfortunate phrase that he used. He said it was a no-brainer, and I'm sure he didn't mean it this way, obviously. But it's a no, it is a no-brainer from a coach's standpoint because a coach has nothing to do with whether he can play or not play. He just has to get his team prepared and prepared if he plays, prepared if he doesn't play. And that's what Sean McDermott said, too. We'll prepare for two quarterbacks, and that's what you have to do at this point. Basically, you're preparing for a system. But I'm sure they'll have to put two game plans in, Mike, because they're not going to know. It's out of their hands. An independent neurologist has to clear Patrick Mahomes from this. It's not going to be simply the Chiefs saying he's good to go and Patrick Mahomes saying I can play. It's not going to be that simple. And best case scenario probably for the Chiefs is he's not going to practice much, if at all, this week, Mike. If, but if they can just get him back on the field, they'll be happy with that. Two levels of clearance by the independent neurologist, one to practice, two to play. And the mere fact that the NFL incorporated the independent neurologist, and I know it's got a more fancy official name, but basically it's somebody who's not on the team payroll. Pre-2009, and we've gotten so used to this now, we forget what the world was like before. Before 2009, the doctor who was paid by the team was signing off on whether or not the quarterback or any other player could play with a concussion. And obviously, if that doctor wanted to continue to be employed by the team to provide services to the players, it wasn't going to keep players away from the team. And that that has been removed. And it seems to have been, once they apply, Shireen, the concussion label, it seems that that is followed and that is respected and that is honored. The challenge is getting to the application of the concussion label. And I was watching very carefully yesterday, would they take Patrick Mahomes to the locker room? The locker room is the best place to do the full-blown concussion evaluation. And he was so obviously impaired that that was an easy decision to make. We've seen guys who weren't clearly woozy and guys who work their way back onto the field, like Russell Wilson a few years ago. So, you know, we always worry about an issue like that in the postseason. And you don't want to have a guy unnecessarily be put in the locker room for 15 minutes, and it turns out he didn't have a concussion. In this case, the protocol worked. Mahomes was scratched. And now now we see if the protocol on the back end works 
and uh, if it works in favor of the Chiefs or in favor of the Bills, because there is a clear strategic component here. And he's got a bad toe. We forgot about the bad toe. Yeah. The, the, the big toe, he clearly had his foot bent in because he was trying to put weight on the outside of the foot away from the big toe. That's an issue as well. And, you know, I said earlier today on PFT Live, it could have been a blessing in disguise that he suffered the concussion in a weird sort of way because it got him off the foot and it, and it avoided any further damage to the foot. So maybe if he'd played the whole game, the toe would have been too much of a problem for him to play this Sunday. But we'll see how that all plays out. We have the toe, we have the concussion, and we may or may not have Patrick Mahomes come Sunday. Yeah, and Andy Reid blew off the toe issue, but he was limping around, Mike, and he was not the same guy. And, you know, I was surprised that he ran on that particular play simply because the toe was messed up, and it didn't look like a hard hit. And I know what we just put up what Mama Mahomes said, Randy Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes' mom, said on on Twitter and criticized Mac Wilson for the hit. But, you know, the hit didn't look that bad. It didn't look like he took the direct hit to the head, and I really thought that it was going to be a neck injury and then you got up, like you said, you saw he was woozy. You saw he was out of it. You saw he probably had a concussion at that point. It didn't even take a neurologist at that point to say he's got to get back to the locker room to be tested out for this thing because he doesn't know where he is. So hopefully he's okay and can get back on the field and, and can maybe can even practice some this week. We'll just see how that plays out. But in a weird sort of way, Mike, this works in the Chiefs' advantage a little bit because the Bills do have to prepare for both quarterbacks. They do have to spend that time on Chad Henney that they otherwise wouldn't have done. And Chad Henney gave them something to think about. It ended up being a good thing that Patrick Mahomes didn't play Week 17. Chad Henney able to knock off some rust and be ready to go two weeks later when it was time for him to come in with very short notice. Back to the Randy Mahomes thing. We're going to talk later about the actual hit and the penalty and whether he should have been running, et cetera. But the, the, as to whether it was an illegal hit, there was a lowering of the helmet and initiation of contact, and it doesn't have to be helmet to helmet. But that penalty gets called so haphazardly. We saw a clear violation when Daniel Sorensen hit Richard Higgins and caused the fumble that went out of the end zone, and that was the focal point of the controversy. There still was an uncalled foul for lowering of the helmet and initiating contact. We saw it in the Saints-Bucks game. It was a grazing of the helmet by the lowering of the helmet. It wasn't a direct blow, and they called it then. So this is something that was written so broadly. There are so many hits that fall within the boundaries of a violation and sometimes they get called and sometimes they don't the key will be whether or not mac wilson gets fined shireen this weekend that would be the concession by the league office that maybe it should have been flagged for lowering the helmet making contact with the opponent and in this case contributing to the concussion that patrick mahomes suffered all right let's move on to the other game the other winner the tampa bay buccaneers advancing to the nfc championship for the first time since 2002 that was the year they went to the super bowl and won bruce arians here he is from earlier today talking about antonio brown who wasn't around for the second half because he ended up with a leg injury had an mri on his knee today here's arians talking about a b and more hey uh ba was there any update on uh Antonio Brown's knee situation? Uh, no, he's in the MRI now, so we'll find out more this afternoon. What can you say about the ability of, of each player, whether it's a star or a rookie, to kind of show up when their number's called and, and make a play? Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. You get your opportunities, man. you you got to make the best of them. And uh, you don't know when they're coming. And uh, this time, you know, Scotty jumped out there and it was really a play designed for Antonio, but Scotty ran a great route, beat him. 
Uh, Tyler makes a great catch. Stinney steps in there and makes a great, great job. I mean, it's 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 everybody just doing their job. And that's when we went down there, just, just all we got to do is do our job. We're good enough to beat anybody. You know, maybe this is just confined to the various shades of red, but I think that Bruce Arians has some chameleon DNA. Whatever he's wearing, his face is the same color. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah, anyway, I noticed uh, that too, Mike. It was funny. <laughs> so Antonio Brown, when he's healthy, he was getting it done. Scotty Miller, when his number's called, he gets it done. Tyler Johnson, the rookie from Minnesota, the catch he made on a key third and 11 play where it was low and away and he lunged for it and he made the catch. Now, Joe Buck acted like it was the greatest catch he's ever seen. He hasn't watched a lot of football if he thinks it's the greatest catch he's ever seen, but it was still a very, very good catch. And it just shows you how many skilled receivers they have who now have the benefit of 18 games going into game 19 with Tom Brady. And he, he he won't throw it to you if he doesn't trust you. And it's clear that he's got plenty of guys on that team, Shereen, that he trusts. Whether or not A.B. plays this weekend, it doesn't matter. There's plenty of other guys he'll throw the football to. Nine different players caught passes from Tom Brady in that game, Mike. And this season, he had 11 players catch passes from him that had each had 10, 10 or more catches. I mean, he spreads it around, and he likes all of these receivers, which is why we saw Mike Evans struggle to get to 1,000 yards. Frankly, he's their best receiver, and, and it took him all until week 17 to get that 1,000 yards that he's so used to getting. And he only had one catch yesterday. They really moved the ball around to those different receivers. And so, yes, it'd be nice for them to have Antonio Brown. He had one catch for 10 yards, played 29 snaps. If they don't, Mike, they're absolutely fine with those other guys. I think they showed that Tyler uh, Johnson and Scotty Miller, with what they can do, they'll be fine at the receiver position. That's not going to stop them from winning this game. There are maybe other things that stop them from beating the Packers, but I don't think it's going to be this receiving core. Hey, I think the key to beating the Packers is the defense playing like it did from the moment that Antoine Winfield Jr. stripped the ball from Jared Cook as the Saints crossed the 50 up 20 to 13 en route to 23 or 27 to 13. When Winfield ripped that ball out, Devin White made a recovery on the fly that looked so easy, but how many times have we seen defensive players just bumble and stumble around and ultimately not recover the ball because they're trying to run with it before they get it? White gets it on a hop, and he's gone with it, and they score a touchdown that drive, and they tie it up, and then everything went Tampa Bay's way after that. If the Buccaneers' defense plays like it did in the second half, the Buccaneers are going to be very, very hard to beat, and there are enough receivers to keep the chains moving and keep the points being scored. It's the defense that's going to be the key for the Buccaneers, especially when they take on a very, very good Green Bay Packers offense. And they're getting back one of their key pieces from the run-stuffing department, Vita Vea, who suffered an ankle injury week five we just assumed we weren't going to see him again we thought he was done for the year he's been designated for return which means he could now be back as soon as this week he could be back in time for the super bowl the window opens for three weeks of practice before he has to be added to the roster well there aren't three weeks left so this is something that could really help them now the question is what kind of shape can they get him in but it can't hurt the tampa bay buccaneers as they try their best to to improve their defense and get ready you know, against the Packers, if you can counter their running game and and focus more on taking away the pass and trust that you've got the interior help on the defensive line to neutralize the run. You know, I'm not I'm not, you know, look, the Buccaneers won 38 to 10. That was a fluke as much of a fluke as 38 to three Saints over Bucks was in the regular season. But 
The Bucs know they can beat the Packers, and the Packers think they can beat the Bucs, and that's a psychological edge. And getting uh, Vita Ve- Vi- I You know, I'm so screwed up from Sims getting it wrong. Is it Vita <laughs> Vea or Vita Via? Damn it, Sims! He's, he's still messing with me nine hours after we go off the air. The double V. Let's just call him that, right? Yeah. Vita Vea. Um, he... he, he- it's big, Mike, if they can get him back, even if he's on a pitch count, though. To have him and Ndamukongsu there inside, I think is huge for them. You know, he broke that ankle in, in week five, but he had 10 tackles and two sacks in the first five games. He was a force looking probably to make the Pro Bowl as an inside guy until he broke that ankle, and they did think he was gone for the year, and now he's back. And even if he can just play a little bit, I, I think he helps the Bucks inside. Yeah, absolutely, and... I think of Sue, I think of Lambeau Field, I think of Aaron Rodgers, and I think of Sue stepping on Rodgers' lower leg, pressing hard with his heel, and then during the suspension hearing that he ultimately won, making this ridiculous argument that his feet were numb because it was so cold. Well, it's going to be cold on Sunday. They're calling for snow, and it's going to be awesome. I don't want so much snow that it affects the game, but it's got the potential to be a classic. The Bay of Pigs in the snow. I can't wait for that one or for Chiefs, Bills, Regardless of who the quarterback is, two special games coming up this weekend. There are still a couple of vacancies, and frankly, if I had options, I would take neither of the open jobs. Texans and Eagles looking for coaches. We're waiting for the official announcement that Dan Campbell will be the next coach of the Lions. And frankly, given that ESPN reported that Brian Dayball was the favorite to become the Chargers coach, I guess we shouldn't put Dan Campbell on there. Let's stick with TBD for Lions just in case – the Lions know something the rest of us don't. The Chargers kept their mouths shut that Staley was their guy. He got the job last night. Josh McDaniels now the prime candidate to get the job in Philadelphia. That just – look, I know that McDaniels' phone doesn't ring like it used to after he jilted the Colts, and and I think there's more of a story there than just McDaniels had money thrown at him by the Patriots and promises made by the Patriots. If promises were made by the Patriots, he's decided not to hang around for them apparently because he's looking at this Eagles job. Shereen, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Eagles fans, Eagles executives, anyone from the Eagles who may be watching this show, first of all, welcome. Second of all, I wouldn't want your job. I wouldn't want to be your coach. Not right now. Not with all the dysfunction. Not with the media there that is as rough as it is. Not with the fans who who are demanding another Super Bowl win. I, it's too many issues, too many problems, and I would wait until next year if I thought that next year a window would be open for me somewhere else, Shereen. And I'm not sure, Mike, what has Josh McDaniels done that makes you think he's going to be a better head coach than what he was in Denver? And he was not a good head coach in Denver. I, I just... It's obvious that he had Tom Brady for all those years. Did he do anything with Cam Newton this year that just makes you want to go, hey, I want to hire Josh McDaniels. I just think there are better candidates out there. But who knows? Like you said, Mike, maybe some of these candidates don't want that job. And I'm with you. If I had other options like Brian Dayball does, who now says he's staying in uh, Buffalo, or that was a report that he's going to stay in Buffalo, I would do exactly that. I might stay where I was for another year and come back and try to get a coaching job in 2022. Yeah, some people thought the Texans made sense for Dayball because he's represented by Bob Lamont, who represents Nick Casario, the GM, and also represents Jack Easter, be the executive VP of football operations, who shouldn't be the executive VP of football operations, all due respect. But Dayball realizing this is not a good spot. Look, In Philly, you better be damn sure the quarterback's on board with everything you're doing. And you better agree with the assessment of the team that Wentz 
Carson Wentz is the guy, and Josh McDaniels is the last guy I, I trust coming through the door. Yeah. I still don't know whether or not he told them when he interviewed for the job, my first order of business is to run off Jay Cutler, but this guy has a history of running off the established quarterback as soon as he gets a job. So I don't, I don't understand why they want McDaniels. I don't understand why McDaniels wants it. And now we pivot to the Texans. The league and the Chiefs have granted the appropriate dispensation to allow the Texans to interview Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator. They changed the rules on the fly. You know, the NFL never changes rules on the fly. This year they are changing rules on the fly. So often you can't keep up with how many rules they've changed on the fly. The latest, even though the Texans didn't interview Eric Bieniemy during the bye week, they can interview him now with the consent of the team they did today. I don't know why Bieniemy did it. I wouldn't touch that job unless I have a chance to sit down with Deshaun Watson, just me and him alone for at least two or three hours and make sure he still wants me and and that I'm comfortable coming into a spot where the quarterback has more power than anyone now if they do hire Eric Bieniemy. Again, I, I if I'm Bieniemy, I'm waiting until next year. I'm waiting for the perfect spot, and I don't think the Texans are the perfect spot unless I get to stuff Jack Easterby in a locker and leave him there, frankly. Well, Mike, we've said all along it looks like the point of no return with Deshaun Watson. But if Deshaun Watson says, I will stay, I will be happy with Eric Bieniemy as the head coach and Jack Easterby gone, you make those two moves. I mean, you do. And it, they're rebuilding anyway, and they're a long way from contending. If Eric Bieniemy doesn't work out, fire him in two years and move on to somebody else. But I just think at this point you have to do whatever you can to make Deshaun Watson happy, unless you've decided that you're going to move on from Deshaun Watson. But it does look like a choice here. Deshaun Watson, Jack Easterby, Deshaun Watson, who he wants for coach, or go somewhere else. It doesn't look like to me they have a lot of options. Look at the stats. If you would look at those stats Labor Day weekend, right when he signed his contract extension, you would assume there was a good chance the Texans would be getting ready to play this weekend. They went 4-12, despite Deshaun Watson having an incredibly great season, a season that would have had him in the MVP discussion if they had just won more football games, and it's not his fault they didn't win more games. So, look, the ultimate irony here is the Texans are the team that gave us the phrase, we can't have the inmates running the prison. And the way they have bungled this with Deshaun Watson, the only way to salvage the relationship is to give him more power than anyone in the organization. He basically gets the keys to the front door if they want to fix it. And that's the one thing, Shereen, that I don't know that they can fix it because I don't know that they're going to make good decisions because they've made bad decisions. Deshaun made a good decision today, though. There was a march planned, and I think it still happened to support him. He took to Twitter and, you know, he showed how easy it is for someone with great power and influence to use Twitter as a way to tell people to stop doing something that they shouldn't do, if you know what I mean. Deshaun Watson telling the folks who were planning to march, don't do it. There's a physical safety component to this. COVID-19 is running rampant. Don't do this. I appreciate the support, but don't do this. Stay home. Don't do it. So good on Deshaun Watson for trying to stop it. I still think I saw photos of people who were out there. There it is. There they are. There they are. But you know what? I wonder how many more would have been there if he hadn't urged people to stay home. And that's not, you know, that's a decent crowd. That's not like the Tim. Remember when the, the people wanted the Jaguars to sign Tim Tebow and they had a rally and there were like two people there. And I think one of them was Pete Prisco in cutoff jeans. So I I don't, uh, I, 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 I'm, I, I, the, the jorts. Yeah, jorts, cutoff jeans, whatever. 
But uh, I don't see any jorts there, but I do see enough people that it's not an embarrassment given that Deshaun Watson said stand down. But uh, I, I, look, the, the SI.com article from this weekend, if you haven't read it, go read it. it, it go read it. It's, there's so much dysfunction there, and it makes me convinced that they're not going to be able to figure this out. They're just not. And they just need to punt and get the most they can for Deshaun Watson and move on, Shereen. I do wonder, Mike, do you think Nick Casario knew what he was getting into, knew exactly what he was getting into, how much people in Houston despised Jack Easterby? I don't know that he had any clue of that. I saw Dan Orlovsky talking on TV today. I saw a clip online because obviously we're on the air when that show's on. I mean, he made it sound even more dire and dark and sinister than any of the reports we've ever seen and heard about. And I don't know that it's that bad, but it it was so over the top. And that's the thing. So many media outlets are just piling on. And and folks, here's what happens when you fire Amy Palsik, the excellent PR director of the Houston Texans. There is nobody who is pushing the Texans agenda from a PR standpoint. Nobody. There's nobody calling me saying, hey, you know, you need to look at this from a different perspective. Uh, And, you know, can I give you some information? Would you like to talk to Jack Easterby? Would you like to talk to Nick Casario? Things like that work. And it's amazing to me. They're just kind of, you know, ignoring it and hoping it'll go away as it spreads and spreads and spreads. And it's now that meme where it's the dog or the cat or whatever animal it is in the cartoon that's saying this is fine with the flames all around it. Yeah, that's exactly it, Mike. And again, is it salvageable? That's what we don't know. And if they trade Deshaun Watson, this is even a longer rebuilding phase than than they could have imagined because you have the franchise quarterback. These franchise quarterbacks don't go on trees. You don't just pick one. You don't just – even Trevor Lawrence, for how good we think Trevor Lawrence is going to be, you don't know. And Joe Burrow, the jury's still out on Joe Burrow. He had a pretty good rookie year before his knee injury. Is he going to be that franchise quarterback who's going to take you to the next level? You don't know. You know Deshaun Watson. He's good. You can win with him. You've got to have parts around him. He had a great year this year. Put some parts around him, and you can have a championship team, Mike. Here's what I do know, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself. I've been saying it for much of the last week or two. This is what you get when you put someone who is unfit for a job of great significance in that job. Don't be stunned when crazy bleep happens when you put someone who is completely unfit in a significant job. And I'm only referring to the Texans Executive VP of Football Operations and 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 nothing else. We're going to take a break. MPMQB coming up, taking a close look at the Cleveland Browns' curious decision to go into slow play mode at a time when maybe they should have been getting the plays in and getting the ball snapped more quickly. We'll be back with more PFTPM right now. When you look back at that, those last eight minutes, what stands out to you about the drive an offense that you weren't able to mount and then giving up that last first time on defense? Yeah, Scott, that's where I thought that game was going to be. I thought it was going to be tight and we're going to have an opportunity late in the game and we're going to have to go on a drive. And and I just did not put the guys in position uh, to succeed. And and that's where I'm going to make sure the next time we're in that situation, I do. So uh, we came up short, uh, didn't get it done, uh, but it was not for lack of effort. 
that's where I, I really appreciate the guys we have because we knew they were going to fight and they did. Um, but I got to do a better job. For them. You know, one of the things about Kevin Stefanski that I've figured out in just one year as an NFL head coach, he will never blame anyone but himself to the point where you can write the questions ahead of time or the answers to the questions. He's always going to say, I put that on me. I take the blame. He's conditioned to say it to the point where, look, I mean, behind closed doors, surely he's laying blame, but he's trying to protect his guys from any undue criticism beyond that, which is going to happen organically. So here's some criticism that would happen organically for anyone who was paying attention to yesterday's game between the Chiefs and Browns. And I thought about this all day before I've really talked about it at length, Shireen, or written anything about it, and I'll write about it later tonight. The Objective was simple, and I heard Tony Romo and Jim Nance talking about this yesterday, and Sims and I, and I'm sure you and I talked about it last week, if you're the Browns, you slow the game down. You keep Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. You have fewer possessions per team if you want to limit the scoring of the Chiefs. But when Mahomes is out, that's when it should flip to more possessions, not fewer. I'll take Baker Mayfield over Chad uh, Chad Henney in a shootout any day. And that's what stunned me when you look at the Browns getting the ball after the Carl Joseph, West Virginia great, interception in the end zone. Of course, you or I could have caught that ball. It was like a punt, right? Joseph makes the catch in the end zone with exactly eight minutes left. Cleveland starts on their own 20. They, 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 They go three plays. They get to fourth and one. Baker Mayfield gets a first down. Yeah, here we go. They take an ill advised timeout and then they do three more plays. And by the time they punt, there's only four minutes and 19 seconds left. What the hell? Three minutes and 41 seconds to move 12 yards. You're moving as if you're putting all your eggs in this drive, and then you punt. And the argument for the punt is easy. We're punting it back to Chad Henney and the Chiefs, and maybe we'll get the ball back. Well, you didn't, first of all. And second, if that's the mindset at that point, force the issue. Force the issue. Move faster and punt it once. Because then if you stop them, you get another shot. And if they stop you, you can punt it again and maybe get it two more times or three more times. That's what I can't reconcile. I understand punting it on fourth and nine from your own 32. I understand that with Chad Henney running the offense, even though they, they obviously didn't get the ball back. But that should have happened a lot sooner on the clock, the punt moment. And then you have your shot to, to stop Chad Henney. That, that's what bothers me the most about that. It's a great point, Mike. And at that point, when Chad Henney does come in, you do try to maximize those possessions. You're behind. You're not ahead. You're not trying to run time off the clock at that point. And I also have a problem with the two timeouts they burned, Mike. The first one was on that stupid Tyreek Hill catch. And you could see if they had just waited just a few more seconds, they would have seen that he caught the ball and not to throw the challenge flag and not to cost you a timeout with 11 minutes left in the game. So that was the first dumb timeout. The second dumb timeout comes, as you said, after that fourth down play, they let it run down. At that point, you probably should have taken the penalty. I'm not using my timeout at that point. And why they came out of that fourth down play not ready to go anyway is a separate question entirely. But you end up losing a yard. If you had taken the penalty, it would have been only four more yards and you would have still had the timeout. So just two blown timeouts at that point, Mike. And then that whole, they got behind the yardage on that loss of one. Then you are then you don't have a timeout. You're down to one timeout. 
that whole series right there of plays was just not a good series of plays for the Browns and ultimately ended up costing them a chance to have to go down and and score because they did end up punting and never got the ball back. This is what happens when you have limited experience in the postseason. And Kevin Stefanski was with the Minnesota Vikings from 2006 through 2019. They made it to the NFC Championship game twice. They were in the playoffs sporadically. You know, I don't know, 40% of the time during his time there, 33% of the time. Not enough playoff experience to really get into that into that zone. Like, you have to get into a sweet spot. You have to feel fully in control of your faculties. You have to make good decisions. And you have to also know when to make a calculated risk. Like Andy Reid, fourth and one. There is no tomorrow. That's what he said today. This is a guy who's climbed the mountain last year. This is a guy who's been around. He knows when it's time to go pedal to the metal and trust your guys to get a first down. And again, I'm not saying fourth and nine, they should have gone for it. But... I just I was stunned that they burned off that much time and that it was so easy for the the Chiefs to get themselves in position to kill the clock and it was that that uh, one there was one first down and then the second first down on the third it was the third and 14 run by Chad Henney that left him short and the quick pass to Tyreek Hill and that was that is that that for the Los Angeles Rams as it relates to quarterback Jared Goff immediately after Saturday's loss to the Packers Sean McVay had the press conference walk-off where he was asked about the quarterback, and he said, Jared Goff is our quarterback right now, and it left us hanging. It was like the last episode of The Sopranos cutting to black. Like, what the hell did he just say? What's going on here? Sunday, he met with reporters again. He was a little more explicit and detailed about the future, and listen to this question from reporters, and listen to McVay's answer as it relates to the future of Jared Goff. Is there any scenario that you can see where Jared would not be on the roster next year? You know, like I said, Gary, we're, we're in a situation that we're in evaluation mode. Um, you know, all those things are things that, you know, we're, we're moving forward. We're looking forward and, and I can't, you know, answer any of those questions until, like I said, I take a step back and, and you evaluate everything that uh, is in the best interest of the Rams. That's not how you answer that question. If it's a stupid question, that answer legitimizes the question. The only way to avoid creating an issue that is going to hover over the team for weeks, if not months, if not years, depending upon how long they keep Jared Goff, is by treating that question as a ridiculous question. Now, you can do it in a polite way. Sean McVay is very schooled in the PR thing, always uses the name. You heard, hey, Gary, and you know he'll, he'll always use the name. He folds that in. I'm interested to see if Brandon Staley picked that up in his one year with the Rams, and he does the same thing, and now that he's head coach of the Chargers. But there's a way to, without being a Bill Belichick-style butthole, there's a, pardon me, there's a way to answer that question that doesn't legitimize the question. That's what McVeigh should have done if it really is an illegitimate question. I guess there's a chance he accidentally legitimized the question by being polite, but I'm, I'm going to take him for what he said. And what he said is no one's guaranteed a roster spot, including the supposed franchise quarterback. And if you have a franchise quarterback, Mike, you say we have our franchise quarterback. He's our franchise quarterback for a reason. He's going to start next year. You put those questions to rest, and he did not do that. There is absolutely a question. And you go back a week, Mike, when 
uh, Jared Goff came out and said he should have started, that his thumb was fine, and he should have started in the wild card playoff game, and he didn't start. There's a problem between those two right now. It's very obvious that there's a problem between those two guys. And how they fix this in the offseason, I don't know. But there is a question about Jared Goff. And Sean McVay knows there's a question about Jared Goff. He has that same question about whether he is their quarterback of the future. And unfortunately, Mike, they gave him that big contract, and it's going to be tough for him not to be on the roster, right, next season. Well, yeah, because of the contract that they gave him in 2019. And I'm going to go back to June of 2019 because that's the time when we were pushing this notion that at some point a team is going to say to a quarterback that it drafted who is getting to the point where it's time for a new contract. And at that point, Goff only had three years in. He had two years left on a contract. Somebody's going to say, no, we're waiting. Or no, we're not doing it. We're going to keep you for five years, and then we're moving on. And this was the interview by Fred Rogan of the NBC affiliate in L.A. because he was very dismissive of the idea, and he got McVeigh to be very dismissive of the idea. And here's the question that was posed. Consider the words used then in light of the current situation with the Rams. Here's what Fred Rogan said. I don't know how often you check online and care what the pundits say. One, me, suggested that, you know, the thing about Jared Goff is there will be a point in time when you're just going to get rid of him because you're going to bring in somebody here who's younger and who will be your kind of guy. Now, to me, I thought that was insane. Thanks, Fred. Because you've developed him into one of the top quarterbacks in the game. And here we are less than two years later. And they shouldn't have paid Jared Goff. They sh- you know what? If they hadn't paid Jared Goff, Shireen, he'd be a free agent in March. And who the hell is going to give him $33 million a year if he, if he becomes a free agent in March? Nobody, Mike. And they would have gotten him for much cheaper if they wanted him back, which now is the question about what they want to do with Jared Goff. I mean, he had 20 touchdowns and committed 17 turnovers this season. He was not a quote-unquote franchise quarterback. He was not one of the top quarterbacks in the game, as as Fred referred to him a couple years ago. And he has a long way to get there. They have a great defense, but that defense, as we saw, can only take you so far. You've got to have some offense, Mike, to go with that defense. Just because you get to a Super Bowl doesn't mean you're a franchise quarterback. Jared Goff got to a Super Bowl, not a franchise quarterback. Jimmy Garoppolo got to a Super Bowl, not a franchise quarterback. And that's that. And that's okay. Not everyone can be a franchise quarterback. There's only 10, maybe? I don't know. But not Jared Goff, not Jimmy Garoppolo. Too bad. Maybe the JG. Maybe that's the giveaway. Jason Garrett. You know, maybe it's not good to be in football with the initials JG. Maybe that's the problem. All right, we got to go. Uh, High-level analysis. That's why you watch this show. We're going to answer some of your best questions coming out of the divisional round when PFTPM continues right after this. Every week I sit there in NBC studios and I'm a fan of yours. And I just, me and Mike Tirico, oh my gosh, what a play by Josh Allen. Holy cow, I can't believe that. If you could pick one from 2020, what's what's the play that stands out to Josh Allen more than any this year so far? One play? Yeah, one play. Oh my goodness. Um, there's been some crazy ones. You know, my yes. mind obviously goes to the one in Miami, the the Van Noy throwing a linebacker down. Um, I think most recently, this one kind of sums up 
the quote unquote Josh Allen experience, if you will, was the uh, kind of RPO. I was supposed to run it in, and I saw Dawson Knox late and just kind of shot putted it to him, and he he made the dive and catch. And sometimes it's a little chaotic, sometimes it's not super pretty, but uh, you know we got the job done on that one. That that was uh, unbelievable, and that was total backyard chest pass basketball stuff. That was amazing. I am surprised. You, I thought you might take one where, you know, you got to un- unleash that right arm. Like maybe the play where you, you got out of Aaron Donald's sack and then made that throw down the middle. But last week's was pretty damn good. I can't, I can't lie. Yeah, there, there's a couple that I could like. Even going back, the one with the Raiders, the, uh, the little corner post to Steph where you went up and mossed the safety. Uh, let that one go pretty good. But, you know, he made a better plan that I could have let him a little more. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. All right, all right. So I, a little bit of a big big picture question here. Because week two, you play the Miami Dolphins. They cut the lead to like 24-20. And just for me as a fan of Josh Allen, the Bills, I respect what you're doing. I went, ooh, it's 24-20. I wonder what they're going to do. And they, you guys stayed the same. They let you cut it loose. You throw a long touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. To me, that was the moment where I went, ooh, Wait, Josh, Josh Allen's is in the trust tree. They trust him with the ball all the time. You know, what was that moment for you? Or was there another moment that signaled, okay, they trust me with the ball in my hand in the big moments? Yeah, I, I definitely see that. It was uh, Miami. You know, we were up late and we threw the long touchdown to John Brown there, that, that deep post. And, you know, Dable's been extremely open and honest to me. And, you know, there's games where he goes and we're, we're not going to run the ball this week we're going to throw it and we're going to put the ball in your hands and um, to have that relationship with Dable that I do and, and the trust of him it's awesome you know it really is to go out there and play freely and play, play loose um, and not really worry about the outcome or the consequences and uh, just try to go out there and be the best quarterback that I can be so it, it's a good situation what we got going on right now um, but again it's it's an accumulation of 10 other guys on the field doing their job receivers getting open catching the ball and, and making me look good When did fourth and one or fourth and two become a throwing down? Well, you know, I went to BYU, so every down's a throwing down. I mean, that's how that's how that goes. You know, um, I was educated that way by LaBelle Edwards, and uh, throw any time, any place, and uh, try to remain keep a little bit of that with me as I've gone forward. So. Andy Reid. Talking about the decision yesterday to ice the game with the short throw to Tyree Kill, who took a seat. They killed the clock, and that was that. There was a play earlier in the game, though, on third and one, where the Chiefs called for a run, even though the quarterback who ran the ball had a bad toe and ultimately suffered a concussion. First question comes from Dean Osborne, 42. We tell quarterbacks to be smart, get out of bounds all the time to avoid injury. Why does Andy Reid get a complete media pass for risking Patrick Mahomes on plays like the one he suffered the concussion on Sunday? There's always been something different and special about Mahomes in that when he runs, no one ever gets a clean shot at him. We saw it last year in the AFC Championship game when he was running circles around Titans players who seemed to be afraid of their own shadows and they didn't want to get close to him and they didn't want to risk uh, taking a 15-yard penalty. And, of course, that sparked some conversation leading up to the Super Bowl that got Chiefs fans fired up because I suggested the 49ers players should treat Mahomes like a runner if he's going to act like a runner but that's exactly what happened yesterday when you run the ball there are going to be defenses who treat you like a runner and Mac Wilson got a clean hit 
Now, there is that question as to whether or not there was lowering of the helmet to initiate contact, but it, it didn't look like a dirty play. He was tackling a runner. That's how you tackle a runner, and that's the risk you take, Shereen, when you have the guy run the ball. And maybe they'll think about that differently after what happened to Mahomes on Sunday. Yeah, they absolutely might, Mike. And I had a problem with it just because of his toe injury. You know, to me, you're risking a little bit of making that toe worse. Uh, and it's obvious he was limping around on it. But this is what they've done, and, and it's the playoffs. I didn't question the play call at the time. I mean, this is what you do in the play, playoffs. You call the plays you think will work regardless of the circumstances. And you, you saw what Chad Henney did, right? Put his head down. They have no other quarterbacks, I don't think, active in that game. But he put his head down and, and tried to get the first down and thought he had the first down on the, on the long run at the end of that game to try to run out the time. And that's what you do in the playoffs. I mean, you throw caution into the wind, and, and I think that's what the Chiefs did on that. But I'm with you. They have treated Patrick Mahomes like this throughout his career. And, uh, he, he, you know, he's been pretty fortunate. And let's face it, Mike, when you get injured, sometimes you're fortunate and sometimes you're not fortunate to be injured or not be injured in these games. Sometimes that's just the way it goes. Yeah, luck has a lot to do with it. And for the most part, we've seen Patrick Mahomes put himself in harm's way and not get hit and not get injured. It was that knee injury that looked really bad on a Thursday night against the Broncos in 2019. He ended up missing a couple of games. Henny was injured or he would have played in those games. It was Matt Moore instead and did all right. And that's the thing. The Chiefs can pivot without Mahomes and still have an effective offense because of the weapons they have, although it's a lot more effective when Mahomes plays. The Texans will be a lot more effective if they have Deshaun Watson. Burn Unit has this question. If Deshaun Watson is traded, could you envision the Texans trading him to a team inside the AFC? I'll take the first crack at this one. This one's simple. Deshaun Watson has a no-trade clause in his contract, and that doesn't mean he can't be traded at all. It means he can't be traded without his permission. So before they would trade him, they need to go to him and say, give us a list of teams that you'll play for. And we've already heard plenty of chatter that the Dolphins are a team that he would play for. So I don't know that they would trade him in the division, although I'm intrigued by the possibility of Deshaun Watson straight up for Trevor Lawrence. But they'll trade him to the place where they get the best deal. And... Uh, at least they should trade him to the place where they get the best deal, although I would shy away, if possible, from keeping him in the division. And if you can, send him to the NFC, Shireen. But they're just going to have to they're gonna have to get the best deal they can if they decide to go forward with a trade. And you look at the top of the draft order, Mike, it's all AFC teams. So you start to think, well, if they're going to get a top draft pick, that's probably where he's going to have to go. You also look at quarterbacks. I mean, to me, it's got to be, if you're trading Deshaun Watson, you've got to get a quarterback for him, whether that's a Matt Stafford or a Carson Wentz, if you think you can win with him, or a Matt Ryan or uh, a Tua Tonga-Valoa. Whoever that is, I think you've got to get a quarterback in that trade as well as picks and a quarterback that you think possibly that you can win with. Yeah, I agree with you completely. And uh, look, their best bet is to try to fix this. I just don't have faith, given what we've seen from the Texans in recent yeah. weeks, that they will know how to fix this. They're like in quicksand, and the harder they try to get out, the deeper they are getting. All right, a couple of questions here combined. Uh, tacos and gin and T.E. Gensler 14, as it relates to the rule that we saw yesterday, the worst rule in football. Sims and I argued about that a little bit today. We've argued about it in the past. You fumble the ball short of the goal line. The ball goes into the end zone and goes out of bounds. Unrecovered, the ball goes to the defense at its 20. Tacos and Jen asks, will they ever change the fumble end zone touchback rule? And Terry Gensler suggests that it 
It changes from being a touchback to the ball is at the original spot of the fumble. Offense keeps possession and loss of down. I mean, that, that's what it is if the ball goes out of bounds at the one-inch line. You fumble at the two. It trickles forward. It goes out of bounds at the one-inch line. It's your ball still at the two. Loss of down, and we just go forward. Um, Shereen, look, I, I think that's the only solution if they would change it. And here's my answer as to when they would change it or how they would change it or where they would change it. Super Bowl Sunday. If it happens in that setting, when 130 million or more people are watching, many of whom are casual fans, many of whom would be very confused and dismayed as they understand what this stupid rule is and the outcry that would come from that, especially if it affects the game. If it happens in the second half and really changes the momentum and and it ends up being a 10 or a 14-point swing, that's when the NFL will all of a sudden say, oh, well, we have to change this, even though it's been hiding in plain sight for years. They'll change it when it embarrasses the NFL on its biggest day of the year. That's when they'll change it. I think it's enough, Mike, that it happened in the divisional round in a one-score game that they will at least talk about it in the offseason. But I also think if it would happen at a championship game that, that they would change it as well because you look at the pass interference penalty that wasn't called in, in the Rams-Saints game and how it affected that game. And they did go briefly put in instant replay just off of that play, that one play in the championship game. So I do think these games coming up, if it happens again, that'll be enough to get this rule changed. It should be changed however you change it. I don't care how you change it, but the defense shouldn't get the ball. And I'm glad you agree with me. Here, here's the, the weird dynamic, though, that applies in situations like this. You would think that the Browns would submit a proposal in March for a rule Absolutely. getting rid of the rule that screwed them. But when a team gets screwed by a rule like this, Shireen, they don't want it to go away because they think in this weird karma thing that, that it's going to help them the next time. So they don't want it to go away because next time around it's going to benefit them. Yeah, sure. And then it happens again. They, they just, they need to change the rule, Mike. Simple as that. Yeah, they need to. It's been there forever, and no one has ever given me a good explanation why. When I press the NFL, it's basically, it was like that when we got here. Peacock, hopefully, is the way that we found it. We'll see you tomorrow with another edition of PFTPM.